Well, we're here back at Ski the White's headquarters. I got Frank Karras checking in. He's brought a special guest. It is Friday afternoon. Frank, how are you doing? Doing well, warm, and uh, slightly wet after uh, a day of rain in the uh, high country. And sitting to your right, we are joined by Mike, right? That's right, yeah, Mike Austin. Yeah, Mike of Avalanche Geeks. I posted a Instagram question here just for topics and tagged him in it. So if you guys have seen that on Ski the Whites, I'll have a link to all this stuff as well and the link to his program. But tell tell us a little bit. of We know who Frank is, but give us a little background on, on yourself and what you're doing here in the Mount Washington Valley. Uh, yeah, thanks, Andrew. Uh, so um, I run... Uh... Uh, an avalanche school in based out of the Chamonix Valley in France, and we provide uh, American Avalanche Association syllabus courses in Europe, uh, in and around France, and also in Scotland. And um, yeah, I've been ski guiding for about 20 years, and I know Frank for I think it's about 12 years now, Frank, uh, uh, when we went through some of our AMGA uh, guide. Uh, exams and courses together and we went through uh, uh, the A3, the American Avalanche Association uh, trainings together as well, um, certifications as, to, together as well. So we've done a whole bunch of training and we've skied together in in France and, uh, and, and around the States as well. So Frank uh, uh, kindly asked me to, to come out and uh, um, help out on the program here for a couple of weeks and that's great for me to to ski somewhere new and I've never been on the east coast before I've done quite a lot of skiing in California Alaska Utah but this is the first time uh, skiing skiing the east so uh, that's cool and for me uh, I've not forecasted for many years um, uh, so it's a good opportunity to to refresh uh, uh, so you, you get into that rut of teaching and then you kind of get a little bit away from uh, the role of the forecaster uh, and what they have to do and it's been kind of a yeah, last few mornings being like, ah, oh, I thought it was going to be easy this morning. It's like, ah, oh, well, okay. And uh, Frank's been keeping me right. Good, good. Well, welcome. Give us a quick, um, what, what was happening over in Europe in the French Alps and what were you seeing over there just to distract us a little bit? It's always nice. I think the Chamonix Valley is such a beautiful spot for people that it's a bucket list destination for, for many of us. Um, but we've noticed their winners seem to be fluctuating between amazing winners and horrible winners. And what was this past year like? Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a really good question. I think this winter is a, is a great example of that. You know, lots of talk of global warming uh, in and around the valley at the moment. These kind of key areas, these polar areas and also these high mountain areas seem to be flagging up these differences in, in, in the weather, in the, in the climate earlier than other places, the more noticeable. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'm certainly no big environment um, drum beater, you know, I, I'm, I'm as guilty as most. I fly long haul around the world with my skis and, uh, and ski, but it, it is... Uh, it is quite interesting. We're seeing one of the main issues in and around that valley is what's happening to the permafrost in the high mountains up there. So the Guilde Midi is the famous cable car that runs from Chamonix town right up to three and a half thousand meters. And I think, what's that, about 12,000 12, 12, 12, so, yeah. feet? Uh, it's got the 
one of the biggest single, if not the biggest single span of cable in the world. Uh, and it's, it's a wild, it's a wild ride. And, but they had to change the cable last year. It was due for changing and they changed it uh, as normal maintenance. And six months later, they noticed all kinds of weird stuff happening with the new cable. And, um, the entire uh, ski lift base on the summit there at three and a half thousand meters had shifted, they think maybe, uh, due to the melting of that permafrost. And uh, and they've had to replace the cable again and going forward, they had a huge rock fall just adjacent to the uh, midi that happened luckily overnight, but released thousands of tons of rock onto the glacier. A lot of the Swiss cable car uh, stations are also now being flagged up as shifting on the foundations due to the melting of the permafrost. And that's changing. It's been recognized by the, the French guides and the other European guides that routes that were routinely guided, mountaineering routes, not so much ski routes, uh, that were routinely guided um, for the last 30, 40 years are now becoming uh, classic, classic routes are now becoming no-go routes. They no longer exist. The objective hazard is so high now from rockfall where it never used to be. Uh, we get massive temperature spikes in the summertime. It's not like the weather's noticeably different. We get massive temperature spikes. And getting back to your question, Andrea, and that's what's happened this winter is that we're, it started off great. We best turns of the year were, were December. Uh, great conditions, great start to the winter throughout the Alps. And then we went high and dry, basically from mid-January uh, to mid-February. And I was out, you know, at uh, 8,000 feet uh, in my garden, chopping wood in a t-shirt for, and you know, you could sunbathe out there. Um, to big temperature inversions. We, uh, uh, the valleys were cold, but the mountains themselves were staying uh, above, above freezing level. Um, and then when the, the precipitation has been coming in, um, it's been falling as rain really high, like a lot of the times above the mountaintops, not the high mountains, but the other mountains, the lower, the lower mountains where most of the ski resorts are in that sort of seven, 8,000 feet area, it's been raining to the summit. Uh, so it's been a kind of freaky week. And then, of course, the irony is in the last, uh, last three or four weeks before everything closed down, it was a return to winter and it was just dumping, you know, 15 inches night after night, going bluebird during the day, another 15 inches cold, low density snow coming down. And, and because we'd had that horrible start to our season, the snowpack was like, bomber there was no weak layers in there and everyone's lining up saying it's going to be the great you know the best spring touring season ever and uh, and uh, i don't know if you were but all those mountains are now shut down not just the ski resorts but uh the french police are now finding people going into the back country uh because of covid so uh yeah it's um yeah there's all that and it's gone bluebird again so it's like per perfect snow bluebird and nobody can go back country nobody can go out you, you can look but you can't touch yeah that's it yeah so it's the ultimate uh the ultimate tease well that's i mean that's an incredible segue into our current state and the hot topic right now um yeah frank what's what's going on i put this question out topics for today and they're all the majority of them are all related to COVID-19 and what's the status with the White Mountain National Forest and what are we looking at? What What is the, the guide, what are the, the guidelines today? You know, it's, I know this is changing every day, but people, um, I've seen everything from people taking the 
high ground of my backcountry season's over. I'm not going to go out and be, do at-risk activities and potentially take up resources, take up a hospital bed to the people that are gung-ho on getting out to the backcountry, being like, I'm going to go from my house to my car, directly to the mountain, minimize risk and then of exposure, and then do the same in reverse. And I don't know. I think it, it's a weird spot that we're in right now where we want to recreate, but we also want to be responsible. So, yeah, well, being responsible is obviously the the right thing to do here. And that's the direction that we're getting from all the public health officials and CDC and WHO, your local health authorities. Um, I, the main thing is follow the, those recommendations, you know, first and foremost. And, you know, we do want people to respect the fact that there's, it's a small community, limited healthcare providers and, uh, you know, limited bed space. So, you know, tomahawking uh, down the head wall and getting hurt and landing in the hospital is not going to be good for, for anybody. Um, especially you when you've got to go to the, go to the hospital. Um, the other concern really is just our rescuers and our staff. Um, we are, um, you know, trying to reduce our exposure as is the guidance for any healthcare provider. So, you know, we have a limited staff of uh, ski patrollers available. A lot of those patrollers work in the healthcare um, business and, and are, you know, at high risk. Um, so they're staying away or they're staying away because they're being worked or anticipating being worked really hard in their normal job, um, the day job at the hospital. So, you know, we're, we don't shut the national forest. We haven't yet. Um, that said, the AMC is shutting down a lot of their facilities. Um, the, just got word today that the, you know, the pack up room below, um, the trading post there at Pinkham Notch, the bathrooms and that whole that whole room is now closed. Um, as of now, we do have toilet facilities at Hermit Lake, but no camping options. Um, the breezeway is locked, and um, you know we'll definitely encourage people if they're there um, to to not congregate. And I think people people know the proper hygiene and social distancing protocols, and we'll encourage that and not encourage people to drive a long distance to come here to recreate. Like we're going to get, people are going to get, um, you know, mental health issues too. And we acknowledge that if you can't get out and do some recreating, but there are options, uh, for that as well locally. So follow your, your local health care, you know, your local health department's, uh, recommendations and the CDC and, uh, I, th I think, you know, I've only, only been in the area a couple of days and the very first morning that I had um, up there uh, at uh, the forestry service uh, cabin, it was like 10 o'clock in the morning, day one, and a call came in and uh, it's it like, oh, well, there's a, there's, a, there's a SAR instant. You can grab your gear, Mike, we're going up. And uh, a hiker had managed to get himself... Um, We'd call it crag fast, but you, you know, can't go up, can't go down. Um, I, you know, found himself on some steep icy ground, um, and you think, well, you, you know, as we got up there, uh, Frank started asking protocol questions. It's like, you know, and you know, just touching around the edges when, you know, how do you feel? Are you on medication? Basically, 
touching around the edges of could you possibly be at high risk and and like the question came and the answer came back it's like well i've i've been doing some uh i've been in the emergency room in the last couple of days and i and and we know somebody that had covid was in there the day before and you're like what are the chances but also now that has implications on rescue as well who's going to go down to who's you know who, who, if, a, if a rescuer gets ill, then they're out for two weeks, and they may have a wife who's a healthcare worker. Is she now uh, going to be quarantined for two weeks? So it, it does. There are there are implications, aren't there? It's. Uh, but I, I think Frank's absolutely right. It's, it's like what, what we're going to do: be the, like the French and just sit in our houses and look at look at the mountains and, and go crazy. Uh, I think, yeah. There's got to be a middle ground, hasn't there? Just maybe step it back a couple of notches and uh, still get out and enjoy ourselves, but uh, maybe more locally. Yeah, there's there's no blanket statement you can really tell everyone right now about their choices to recreate and are they capable? Should they go out? Should they be in the mountains? Should they not? It's hard, and that's a weird spot to be in. And you guys. Mount Washington Avalanche Center. I certainly, I can't, I certainly can't say that one way or the other. And, you know, Mike is working on his intern and he's certainly entitled to his opinion. And, you know, I have mine as well. And we just, I just have to be, you know, cognizant of the fact that there is a, you know, a community of people that, that we call on for rescue and encourage people to make choices that, um, that make sense at every level. Yeah, that sounds that sounds right. I think everything's going to be day to day. People need to be responsible. They need to be making choices that are not just selfish choices, but choices in the best interest of the community. And I think of, as the outdoor community in general, we've seen, like I said, we've seen the spectrum of responses of people that are stubborn and be like, "I'm going to go out no matter what. You can't box me in." To the other other side, where people are saying, "I'm done. My backcountry season's over." And I. I you know, I think the very basics is like you can still get out at your local local trails, local crag, local ski hill, whatever it might be. But yeah, I think that's a good point. Skinning up. Um, there's a lot of closed ski resorts if they have uphill skinning policies or if it's on public land, you know, there's a good venue for finding some some better snow or for finding some some uh, skinning and skiing. Certainly, I, I suggest better snow because it's going to be refrozen bulletproof vertical skating rink this weekend with our today's rain and uh followed by the cold temperatures over the weekend yeah you want to go we want to get out of the topic and get into the forecast segue into that yeah yeah. what we should be talking about is is uh you know we can forecast a little bit look at what you think we're going to see and what we're seeing right now yeah if we just back up a little bit we had that we had a, it was like an ice rink up there over the past weekend for the backcountry ski fest. I know a lot of people were trying to get out with guided groups, and mm-hmm. there wasn't a ton of options. And we're talking it did warm up a little bit where the the Sherby people were able yeah. to ski some of the ski trails out. Yeah, got a little new snow early in the week too. I think maybe three inches or four inches total in a couple of different upsloping events, and then it did soften Wednesday. We had ended up. Um, you know, we were supposed to have cloud cover move in early that day, and it never did. So it was bluebird all day, and I think people were pleasantly surprised by some good softening snow on the solar aspects. Certainly stayed hard, um, cold, dry snow on the shady sides, um, and even 
not in the direct sun. So the east faces also stayed cold and dry and icy where they were icy. So people did get some good turns. And then, um, you know, we've started into this warm up on uh, Wednesday or sorry, Friday. Today's Friday. So, yeah, it's 41 on the summit, hit 43 at 1 p.m. And there's that snowy eating fog was up there all morning. Um, we did have cold, dry snow underneath at 5 a.m. Um, but then, you know, it's uh, raining and it was already refrozen in a lot of places. Um, walking around the Alpine Wednesday, you know, I was really happy to have crampons and not micro spikes. It was uh, bulletproof where there wasn't wind slab. Um, you could kick through in places, but this rain is just going to um, mm -hmm. reinforce that ice crust and, you know, trails. I think anybody should realize um, that, that crampons on the trails, certainly anything steep, are uh, is the key once you get to treeline or above. We're looking at, and the winds too, are ramping back up. Right? Yeah, We're looking yeah. at well above 100 for this weekend. I don't know if it's Saturday night or... I think it's Saturday. It looks like it's dropping a good bit on Sunday, but getting really cold. Sunday, yeah, I saw it's really cold. Yeah. Winter, winter is back up high. High near six degrees on the summit on Sunday. So even with the sun, um, with the, the wind as it is, wind is not forecast to be that high. So probably 30 to 40 mile per, per hour range, but with a Summit temperature of six Sunday seems very unlikely to corn up at all. And that's the cycle we're in. We either need the warm weather to corn corn up the snow or to get more snow. Yeah. And it looks like we have some more snow in the forecast, and that's coming at the beginning of next week. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be nice. So fingers crossed for that. Um, you know, that, that surface, that icy surface was pretty... Um, course and we get those wet snow events turning to rain or um, snow with rime on it sometimes that ice crust um, it heals up to the wind slab faster than you might think um, mm -hmm. not always the case certainly you want to um, check the forecast and and be careful if you're easing into the terrain but it, it can settle and bond better than you think so all is not lost hopefully we'll get a good good bit of snow and maybe not not too much wind to um, to bring things back around and bring us out of the uh, ice crust. And, you know, the snowpack's great. Snowpack's not going anywhere. It's going to survive this warm-up today. The um, Tuckerman Ravine is, every line is, is big and well-connected. And um, I think folks have, uh, if you're from away and looking at crocuses coming up in your yard, you're not thinking that we have a good snowpack, but we do. Um, above 3,000 feet seems to be the magic number for many of the storms this year. And uh, as long as the uh, weather remains cold, at least at night, you know, we're set up for the snow lasting through a good solid spring. Yeah, the message there don't force it. Yeah. Like, don't totally. force it tomorrow if it's going to be horrific. No. Yeah. Yeah, ski the conditions, not the calendar, as the saying goes. That's that's really critical, and it, it just doesn't go away as quick as you think. So, you're gonna have good corn skiing here late. I think, yeah, right through into May easily. I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
yeah, no, May's May's the month. Like on a bad winter, we're still skiing in May. Yeah, no problem. And yeah, all the the snow from all these little storms always ends up on the the eastern side and in the snow fields and super deep over that side. People know? are driving up the auto road called Slack Country and getting a head start as soon as the auto road opens and getting easy access to all the terrain and the pockets of snow that's left. So yeah, I mean, again, yeah, I get a lot of questions myself about when is a good time to ski Tuckerman Ravine and when, what are the conditions now and how do I find information? And maybe that's something on my end that I need to be better. I need to have that list of links, the, the checklist of how we go about figuring out, you know, the, the diagram, should I go or should I stay home? Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. in general ski conditions where you start with the Avalanche Center website and just get briefed on, you know, what, what time are you guys posting your forecasts in the morning? It's up by seven in the morning. Um, we talk about the weather for the following day in every forecast so you can get some indication um, to start thinking about the following day in, in our weather section. Um, sometimes we try to call it right out if we're confident, like, Tomorrow definitely looks like a good, you know, or better day. Um, we're we're trying to help with that. Um, and the main thing is, you know, be ready for, be ready for all kinds of conditions when we're on the well anytime, but certainly when we're on the cusp of spring. So, you might you might come up and you had bluebird conditions and nice um, corn on your boot up. And then we certainly had the case where just some clouds move over and 30 minutes later, it's refrozen death cookies, you know, with a long sliding fall. So you just want to pack your crampons, pack your ice axe, be ready to, you know, walk down like some condition you can ask. Well, there's plenty of people that have had the type of incidents where, you know, they wish they'd walk down with crampons rather than trying to ski down. And you guys are pretty unique over here. I don't know of any avalanche forecasting operation anywhere, um, be it in Europe or, or over in North America, that will talk about these other mountain hazards as opposed to just strictly the avalanche forecast, right? Um, and that's kind of noticeable just over, after being here for two or three days. Um, you know, the bottom line might open with slide for life hazard is is your number one hazard today. And, you know, that's so you kind of deliver a whole mountain safety package here as opposed to just the avalanche forecast that's being served to to, to the public here uh, as a complete to, as a complete three course meal as opposed to having to go and get your your entree at the avalanche forecast service and then maybe hook onto someone else's blog and see what Fred did yesterday and so yeah what, what, what a great resource you have here yeah thanks we're we're trying I was surprised when I was going out search and rescue and I'm just over here for some light avalanche forecasting I'm not signed up for this <laughs> that's right Mike had to get he diverted at the end of that um, assist for the the subject he and um our other snow ranger i i asked him to go over and have a look into oaks golf and get some photos there there. what am i doing over here now i've come to forecast now i'm rescuing now i'm forecasting so what's what's going on you've got to be you've got to be flexible on that john (laughs) your latest human swiss army knife yeah yeah no it's impressive that uh, that's that's actually that you're lucky to have all of that in one place here for sure we are and it it can almost be a to a fault where people are expecting Frank, you know, who or you, Mike, or whoever's doing the forecast, to tell me where to go for the day, 
mm-hmm. should I go? Is it safe? You know, it's yeah. that's the problem is that where do you draw the line between giving out enough information that someone can make a, a you know, use that in their decision making to like too much information where now you're kind of directing someone to go to a certain place and they get this false sense of confidence because maybe you left something out sure. of the forecast. I don't, you know, or the weather, the weather changes. And there you, you can't, go. You can't, yeah. You can predict stuff, but it's day to day, hour to hour up there where you're saying it could be corn. Then all of a sudden the shade line hits and now it's the worst skiing in the world. Yeah. And you're in this predicament of trying to tell someone to go here, but maybe this aspect of this angle. Right. And yeah. I think, so step one, when people are asking, should I, you know, what are the conditions like? Well, it's like, we'll start with the avalanche center and then you got to add in all these other resources, but ultimately you need to, we've all, we've been harping on this as being flexible with your plans and mm-hmm. start out with low expectations and then just go from there. And, you know, every time you go out in the mountains, you have to respect all these variables that you're going to face each time. But yeah, it's really right. hard to tell when you get hit with the barrage of questions of, where should I go? Is it good? What is the Sherby like? And yeah, all these, you know, it's like, I'm here 20 minutes away, but, and I haven't been up there in a few days and I don't know. Like, yeah. And it's know, a different world changes, up there, right? Changes it's, hour yeah. to hour yeah. anyway. Right. Yeah. Like you can't, you can't look out the window from where you're sitting and, and know whether it's going to be good or not. It's hard to tell even from Hermit Lake, mm-hmm. just going up to the ball, what it's going to be like, you know, we've gotten better at it over the years, but you still miss, you know, it's, it's anybody can, can miss. So it's really good to be, um, you know, make your own assessments, start looking for some of those, um, some of the weather conditions that can be conducive to good skiing. So some sunny skies, temperatures in the at least 20 degree mark or so on the summit for a forecast high. And that's, that's a, um, a cautious go. Right. Like that's sort of like, and then push into that terrain gently, right? Don't just force it, you know, just just, don't go dropping into something, assuming it's going to be good all the way down. Right. Tried that. doesn't work. Yeah. (laughs) People have had some horrible time. Yeah. Not good. And then obviously, you know, we, we are on the cusp of these other emerging hazards. So it is really a good place to, once we get into this isothermal snowpack meaning the snowpack's mostly refrozen rounds all the way down to the bottom that's when you want to boot up your line right when we have avalanche concerns like significant avalanche concerns that's maybe not always the best approach booting right up the line you know but you need to be able to see where the crevasses are or the moats or you know where the where the rocks are starting to emerge so you know playing it playing it carefully and easing into the terrain and scoping out your terrain. And speaking of other resources, if people post pictures on social media of the terrain, that's great. Just remember to put the date the photo was taken. Um, That can be really confusing for people. We we get that, you know, back in Scotland all the time. Someone will post a great photograph of of of, of an avalanche and they'll, and they may say, the mountain they were on they won't say the elevation they won't say the aspect yeah it's like that's yeah. kind of great but you know for yeah. this to be really useful it needs to come with that ancillary information and we can incorporate that into exactly what we were thinking was going on and what is going to go on tomorrow yeah yeah and the observation section of our website too is hopefully going to 
draw that out of folks. I know social media is often an easier tool for for people to use um, than than our website, but the observations are certainly appreciated. And um, yeah, it doesn't have to be an avalanche observation. It can be, hey, I was in this, mm -hmm. you know, I, I made the journey into the seven or I was in, um, you know, just how the could the skiing goals can, can yeah, be great it, information it right? up on this aspect. There you go. Yeah. Was hard on this aspect, and there's a moat here. And well, sp speaking of observations, did you you were talking about some contests? Is that going to happen, or are we? Oh yeah, path? the the observations contest. Um, we decided that well, it's a bit of a story, but not worth the bandwidth for what you end up getting. Um, we talked to some other avalanche centers that had been doing that and it just, um, oh boy, I forgot what the story, Helan had looked into that. Basically, um, yeah, it's just a little bit of, a little bit perilous. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Did, did Frank ever tell you about the competition he won about observations? Well, that's how it came about. For Frank's story. <laughs> we were up in Terrace, was it last year or the year before? Skiing uh, the backcountry up yeah, there. Yeah, it was last year. Yeah, and uh, they got some amazing backcountry up there. And and uh, and as a as a and as a diligent avalanche forecaster would we we'd, oh, we'd just seen a good some citizen man i wasn't a, i wasn't being a forecaster we, we, we'd, we'd seen some conditions that were worth reporting to avalanche canada i think it was a wet loose release or something or, yeah it's popping off something, yeah. so we took some photos and, and frank submitted a, uh, an observation on the avalanche canada website and uh, two days later an email comes through and uh, and the winner of this month's competition for best observation report goes to Frank Rose. Well, you got a bunch of swag, didn't you? <laughs> I got a hat. That's like, that's insider trading. <laughs> I got a hat. I got a hat. Did you declare it? <laughs> no, I didn't accept it. That was in my off time. Well, maybe, maybe that will be happening down the road. So, no, observations go a long way. It's good for the community. How about that? Well, you'll have the undying respect and admiration of the Plus, Snow Ranger team if you submit a. You have everything organ. You know, it's a, a resource where you can go and look at, you know, deep dives some of the observations, and get a little bit of like what's happened this winter. You get the story. You get some of the story, and you learn from other people's observations and it'll help with future observations help with your snowpack history and help with some of those obscure areas that sometimes people post on that don't show up in the social media they're not as glorious or the lighting isn't as good but could be equally good skiing yeah. with a with a valuable observation we're gonna keep moving along i got questions here from instagram and the one that like gained the most attention that was non COVID-19 was when did you stop using 50 cal gun, a 50 cal caliber gun to shoot down ice in Tuckerman? Oh, so tell me about this. The glory this, days. This can't be just out of, this can't be made up. This, this sounds no. like real, like the wild west cowboy stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was, yeah. Back when snow rangers were really snow rangers. <laughs> it's like, I'm not sure if they're still riding horses up with their 60 caliber, but man, that would have been a good time. So back in the day, in the um, I, I guess it started in the '60s and '70s or late '60s and '70s. Um, there was a, I think it was a, um, 60 caliber, 
machine gun, which is, you know, half inch round, quite a, quite a, um, you know, quite a weapon. And the snow rangers at the time were carrying it up to the cache site, the, the old connection cache site, you know, so if anyone, if you've gone into the bowl, you know, you, you go past the connection cache now that's on the left. Well, if you walk another 150 feet or so, there was another, there's a little clearing now in the crumholtz and the bushes. It's just this flat, rocky area. That's where the connection cache used to be. Um, it was moved after being repeatedly struck and I think broken by big avalanches. Um, and it certainly has been hit in the last couple of years, that site. So the the guys would go up there with a 50 cal set up with a box of ammo and shoot ice off of the head wall. Um, and the ice was meant was, was, was a hazard in itself, as we know, you know, it hit people, but they're trying to trigger avalanches with it. And, um, you know, I'm sure they got some good results and knocked some good ice fall down, but, or potential ice fall down, but they never did, uh, trigger an avalanche apparently. So, um, there later on, um, you know, I guess it seemed like a good idea and certainly a fun time, I'm sure, while it lasted. But the gun's pretty heavy, so you had to break it into two pieces. You know, one person would carry the barrel and another person the the breech mechanism or the stock of the thing, basically. And uh, you screw the thing together. And uh, this is actually a gun that we trained on in the when I was in the Army. But there's a little... little um, feeler gauge that you put in there and you, you set the head space of this gun by screwing the barrel in to a certain certain point and then you back it out a little bit you put the feeler gauge in there and, and then the, the head space and timing is set and it has something to do with the release of the gases um, to get the cartridges to feed through at the proper rate okay. so I Apparently, the story goes, the um, someone left the feeler gauge behind down at the cabin, or they didn't have it with them, and one of the snow rangers um, screwed the barrel in and said, "Well, I, I think you know, I know how many turns it takes to back it out to the proper headspace," and they did that, and uh, the the gases ejected out the side of the the machine, and one of the one of the guys was burned or somehow injured, and. Um, you know, I think that caused a little bit of a reevaluation of the. Uh... Really, that's health and safety gone mad, surely. <laughs> <laughs> what year was this? Why didn't anyone know about safety third at that point? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Um, this was in the seventies, and I I'm not sure. I think this, you know, the ski museum and um, one of those. I think Jeff Likes book has a picture of um, those guys set up on the shingled roof with that gun. You know, shirtless in the spring <laughs> sun with the um, with the machine gun set up, um, and I think that might have the date. So I don't know what the date was, but the glory days. For that sure. does sound like a ski museum question. Yeah, yeah, you should get Jeff Lake in here. I bet he's got some good stories. Yeah, most of the other ones are again back to decision making and should I be out of here? Should I should I be in Massachusetts? Should I be allowed back up here? And uh, no, going back to the online resources, I don't know. I don't know what the, we never finalized that answer about decision-making and, but I think, yeah, I don't know. I think that's one thing that I would 
I would love to do an FAQ sort of thing and maybe we can collaborate on something as like, look at this first and then come talk to me. Yeah. Because I've been getting a lot of calls and you think you've heard it, you think you've heard it all, but when someone's. Well, I think one thing people forget about is there, we've got the snow depth info right there that's at Hermit Lake, right? So there's 130, 140 centimeters on the ground, I think, mm -hmm. 132 maybe this morning. So that's over a meter of snow. You know, Google can convert that to you if you're a foot and inches oh, no, kind we're of guy. Talking, you're, but, you're, I mean, you're talking that, Dad. I'm talking like people don't know what Pinkham Notch is. Oh. Yeah. So there's right. a whole, you know, from very, very simple to the more complex. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Questions you're going to get. Yeah, those are those are tough. Like there's ski guide books, I guess, is one place to start. Dan. Dave Goodman's. Dave, Dave Goodman's yeah. book has some information. I think Friends of Tuckerman Ravine's website has uh, tuckerman.org mm -hmm. has some information. Um, you know, a good general primer on ski mountaineering. What's that one? Um, Northwest Avalanche, or uh, from the Mountaineers book, you know, Scott Shell book about ski mountaineering. Like this is ski mountaineering Margaret terrain Williams, and Margaret Real. Yeah, that book. You know, that's a good general primer. You know, I would love it if if people approached this like legit ski mountaineering terrain that it is right. Like the the issue is that people have been skiing there since the twenties. You know, and some of the old pictures you look at, people are skiing in leather boots and wooden skis. You look at that, you know, well, how hard could it be to ski if those people can do it in that gear? Well, people were often skiing in perfect conditions and perfect conditions only, oftentimes only from, you know, Chicken Rock Gully or just part way up. Um, and also, if you look like 68, 69 photos, the lip fills in so with so much snow, it actually becomes a low angle. Much, much less, much more yeah. ramped up. I, you know, Wednesday when the rescue went on, that was my first day. And it, as, as Frank said, it went bluebird. And um, as we were coming down, uh, the corn, uh, the, the snow was all corning up nicely. And there wasn't that many. And Frank had warned me, it's like, you know, the weekends and the springtime, it can get crazy in there. And uh, I'd heard other anecdotal stuff about Tuckermans and the birthplace of American backcountry skiing, but uh, you, yeah, I think uh, it, it's pretty crazy in there. There was only thirty or forty people in there on Wednesday, but it, it's uh, Frank's right. It, that's legit ski mountaineering territory. Um, you know, uh, some of those lines are pretty. The, the, the ski mountaineering lines, the 45, 47, 48 degrees. The, the, they are extreme lines, and uh, even on Wednesday, there's. You know, there's overweight, middle-aged guys hiking up there with, in a Hawaiian T-shirts, and it's like no, no avi gear, no crampons, little, you know, just booting in. People with no ice axes just punching into the snow. It's like this is nuts. This wouldn't happen anywhere else in the world, and uh, you know, because that's the norm here. Then that that that's the norm, but it's not the norm anywhere else. It's pulling the culture from spring skiing into midwinter conditions. We're getting a lot of that where like we're getting this the isothermic snowpack stuff, but that's not, you know, that can happen early, but it can also happen really late. And we're not out of avalanche forecasting season by any means. And I think that that's the problem is that a lot of first timers will, like you're saying, think the, it's April. Well, I saw some photos from April last year. It's going to be like this this year. 
and and you're right like people should have that healthy respect that it is ski mount it is true ski mountaineering even in april when people are looking like idiots out there not really knowing what they're doing and the the problem is is that it and when i grew up here skiing it felt like it was alpine skiing it wasn't backcountry skiing we thought of it as an extension of what we were doing at the resorts where we have our resort gear and mm-hmm. we're just going to bring it yeah. to tux yeah we're go and that and that was and that's the culture and that's the culture and it's changing i mean i think people are getting a heavy dose of reality through some of these calls that we're seeing and and sharing that and sharing these teachable moments where hopefully it's disseminating across the internet faster and people are learning more but i'm still at the same time really shocked by these frequent phone calls that i get as spring approaches wanting to know do i have to climb over an ice bulge to get to the top of tucker like top of washington and i ask if you looked at a trail map and they're like no not really and they're they're coming from way out far like this is in their home zone and they've never been mm-hmm. up here but maybe they've seen a video or read something and it really piqued their interest and anyway it's like you you need this chart where you can enter it at whatever your level and sort of incorporate the resources and decision making to figure out like a risk management app like can <laughs> can i can i climb this peak app yeah, yeah. that would be I nice know, it's, it's tough because there isn't just like that one answer and i i want to I want to free up some of my personal energy and not be in a bad mood when someone calls me with stupid questions, what I think are stupid questions, but to them is completely reasonable. Yeah, totally. It would be like me probably calling some marina somewhere and say, hey, what's a good time for me to bring my boat and sail around the Horn of Africa? You know, like, like, hey, I know how, it's a sunfish. Is that big enough? It's 12 feet long. Yeah, that's what it feels, that's exactly what it feels like sometimes. Well, I think we're we're at a point to wrap it up. Um, I have I have one thing I wanted to ask. That thing that Ski the Whites bought, oh bought yes, you, the four G thing. Yes, thank so you. Explain a little bit about what that is and what that's going to do for. Yes, um, that is awesome. We have that weather station on automated weather station that's collecting data at the snow plot at Hermit Lake. And right now we're unable to get that data because of the, well, we don't have good comms with it right now. We don't have good communications. We're hoping we're going to be able to access that through the Mesonet Wi-Fi, but it turns out the it's too much of a power drain on the whole rig. And our better solution is a little cell phone modem. And with that cell phone modem, which you donated, um, there's a package of a, uh, software storage to to collect that data and, and and house it for us what that means for us is that we can look at the snow accumulating by the hour and look at temperature changeovers by the hour we can confirm wind effect um, this is um this is akin to the hourly observations that we get on the summit from the summit that's con- collected manually but we can do it in an automated way at our uh, at that snow plot there. So the you know as it is the Hermalite caretakers getting up at oh dark thirty you know five o'clock in the morning and going down and taking those measurements measuring the snowpack temperature bringing the can up and melting it to give us our SWE figure. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. all incredible. Well trained. Oh, super. Yeah, yeah Sarah is awesome and. 
um, all the Sebastians, awesome, you know, every caretaker that's ever worked there, is, and many of them have become snow rangers, actually. They got their feet wet by doing those snowpack observations. You know, this is the stuff you take on a, you learn how to do on an avalanche course. That's right, yeah. We're also doing it, you know, Chris is doing it, um, Harvard Cabin for us, and um, Jim, and, uh, oh, man. Benji? Benji, yes, up at Grain Ob. Um, so that data is really key and to have it every 24 hours is, is, is fantastic. But if we can get at least one of those sites, particularly Hermit Lake, um, done hourly and, um, and cataloged and, or, um, you know, archived, that'll be tremendous and tremendous for research as well. You know, the, um, NWS National Weather Service likes that data for flood prediction, and there's precious few data points now um, up in the mountains. So we're doing, uh, those folks are also doing core sampling to determine when floods are going are gonna to occur, um, which, you know, also affects groundwater supply and how much snow is, or how much water is going into the aquifer. And um, this is a game that's played, you know, heavily out west where snow melts a bigger part of municipal water supplies. But... It's, you know, increasingly a topic of concern here on the East Coast as well. So all that um, that data is helping for recreational purposes as well as um, those other um, purposes. So, yeah, thanks for that. We'll be trying to get that online as soon as it gets here. So is that real-time data that anyone can see or yeah. is it just you guys? Nope, it'll be available to the public. All that 24-hour data is available um on our website, if you just scroll down at the bottom of the forecast, the um, we'll we'll figure out how to display it. You know, once we start getting that stream. At this point, with everything going on, seems unlikely that we're just going to be able to plug it, plug it in, and start you know displaying it. But we it bet you know hopefully we can at least provide a link for folks. Um, you know that. 24-hour data we we've got in a link um somewhere available to folks um on our website or at least yeah i think we still do make sure that's up there Un unbury that okay that needs to be unburied no i don't know um but that's great and, and we've got some more prints to sell i mean we'll keep doing some stuff to to get gear and and this isn't this is a subscription service it's cell phone right like yeah. there's going to be a yearly payment on this so we'll we'll keep supporting that get creative however possible awesome. but it's been great to see the amount of support that people people bought you know everything from mugs with mugs stickers and prints all going all going towards a great cause and we'll keep producing great gear as long as people buys it and it goes towards you know, funding this stuff. So I just want people to know that when they do buy this stuff, it does matter and it goes right. You know, Frank sent me a link, called up, called them up, paid for it, done. It was, that, it was that easy. So it's um, a lot of you listeners contributed to it. And if people are looking for ways to support the team that you know ultimately looks out for us, then this is a great way to do it among other donation routes too. So yeah, um, yeah. Thanks again. Thanks for explaining you know, how that all works because yeah, you're like, buy this, we're going to plug it in and now you're going to get weather data. And like, what does that really mean? Well, it sounds like you explained it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. Useful. More data, the better, you know, as we know, this making a good decision relies on a lot of different data points and the more we have, the better, the more accurate they are, the better. So thanks. 
Well, this was fun. I, I appreciate you guys taking the time to get this information out and I'm sure every, all the listeners appreciate it too. Um, Mike, how long are you here for again? Uh, another two or three weeks. Perfect. All right. We'll get Mike. Depends back. if they close Europe down or not. That is a good point. Well, you're welcome here. We'll take you in as yeah. long as we keep, keep you working. That, no, it's, it's, um, it's great to have the outsider perspective too. And hopefully we can do some more compare and contrast. It's a lot of people use Mount Washington as their stepping stone for the Alps and Europe and beyond and Alaska and all these other places you have experience with. So I hope that people, when they go up to the ranger station, check in if they see Mike, the avalanche, avalanche geeks here, we got one more here. We got Glenn over there. Um, and again, Frank's up there and all the other rangers to just ask and get information. And Yep. Yeah. Feel free. Flag us down. Even if you see us on the snow machine or in the, in the snowcat heading uphill, we're happy to talk snow and, um, and help you find a good route, um, whether you're climbing or hiking. Um, we really want to facilitate that when you're there. And, and, and thanks to Glenn, he's going to be giving us some, he's here as well as an emergency hire, um, giving some of the other snow rangers some, some time off this time of season as they get ready for other forest service duties. And Glenn's going to be working on with us to do some medical trainings as part of our just normal operations and um, going over some stuff, uh, you know, related to, to the current situation as well. So happy to have him on board as well. Great. Well, thanks guys. And we'll chat next week. Great. Thanks. Great. Thanks for having me.